0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. And I'm going to have to apologize to the listeners beforehand. Uh, if I sound like crap tonight, it's because I'm sick. <laughs> and we live, uh, Derek knows the pain of living along the Gulf Coast when. It's 30 degrees one day and 80 degrees the next and then back down to 15 degrees the next day and then back up to 90 the day after that. So your sinuses don't really get a chance to like, you know, flush out or anything or dry out. So you spend most of the winter sick and that's how I spent most of my winter.
1: Yeah, it's especially this weekend because I think Friday night and Saturday were really cold. Yeah. And now we're you know, we're recording this Monday night and it was the high here was like seventy-four. Yeah, it was about yeah, it was close to eighty today. So you just your body
0: can't acclimate to that. So I'm gonna try to make liberal use of the cough switch tonight when I sniffle so that people won't hear me sound like I'm a you know,
1: like snorting coke or something over here. No, it's it's all good, and we all hope that uh, that you are better next week. Oh, I'm sure I have to be
0: better because we got uh, Pentacon coming up. I have to be in hundred percent for that.
1: Yeah, that that's something you know I'm I'm really looking forward to because you know we've mentioned it on this show before, but um, you're going to be doing a panel about uh, your movie Monsters Anonymous. Yeah, I'll be doing that, and I'm doing an uh, independent filmmakers panel on Sunday. So I've got two panels to do. Sweet, and uh, hopefully, um, hopefully, your moderator for the Monsters Anonymous panel doesn't completely screw it up. Yeah, I hear he's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's using the the polite term, <laughs> if you no, know what you, I mean.
0: You're gonna be awesome at it, man. Like I, you were, I I had asked you to do it, you know, a year ago, <laughs> and luckily, uh, Steve, I had mentioned it to Steve Wise. Who runs Pensacon And I said, please let Derek be our
1: uh moderator. And he was like, I can do that. Yeah, he he had mentioned it. He was like, So apparently you're popular because you've got a, you've had someone request that uh they that you moderate their panel. I was like, oh who? And he's like, oh, it was uh I think it was Jason Robbins. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'll be doing uh I'll be moderating two panels on Saturday in addition to doing a podcasting panel Friday, a YouTube panel on Sunday. Wow. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a busy weekend. Sound
0: like we're gonna be pretty busy that weekend. So I'm really looking forward to it. So if anybody is in the Southeast area, I know we've gone over this before last week and probably the week before, but uh, Pensacon is in Pensacola, Florida at the uh, what is the Bay Pensacola called? Bay Center, Pensacola Bay Center, February seventeenth through nineteenth, and you can get your tickets and info
1: at pensacon.com. Absolutely, yeah it's 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 the premier convention in our area. Oh, it's and fantastic. This, this season this year is the most stacked lineup that they've ever had. They have, you know, cast members from Doctor <laughs> Who, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, X Files. Uh, X Files are having an X File X Files reunion. Uh, several wrestlers are going to be there. Freaking Ric Flair Dude, is the Nature be there. That's Boy. Enu- <laughs> that's enough reason to go.
0: Dude, they got the Nature Boy. They got Mick Foley, Jake the Snake. I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, like an old-school wrestling fan, and you're not at Pensacon, you're, you're missing
1: out, man. And then kind of going off of that, I will actually be doing the Jake the Snake Roberts panel. Oh, you are so lucky. And I'm still hoping he does not bring that freaking snake out because I will run.
0: (laughs) If I run across him before the panel happens, I'll tell him that you really like snakes and you want to see it on stage.
1: Oh, well, this just in: uh, an application for a co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro <laughs> Podcast is now open. <laughs> Ooh, boy, man, I better
0: not do that
1: then. Uh. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, if, 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 the snake thing happens, I'll, I'll make the most of it. But I'll probably end up like puking or something or pissing <laughs> my pants after the panel's over.
0: Oh, that'd be awesome! I would have to film that and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh, make that shit go viral! Hell yeah. But let's get started for this week. Let's go ahead and move into our uh, retro gaming news.
1: So unfortunately, we have to kick off the news with a sad story. The founder of Namco, and hopefully I'm pronouncing this name right, Masaya Nakamura passed away. Uh, this comes from retrogamer.net. Bandai Namco Entertainment recently confirmed the passing of Messiah Nakamura, the businessman who originally founded Namco in nineteen fifty-five. He was ninety-one years old when he passed away on January twenty second. Uh founder of Namco and also known as the father of Pac-Man. See, that that's actually huge icon. Um I actually
0: was gonna bring that up because there's been a lot of people getting angry about that, um, about him be, being called the father of Pac-Man. Uh, he was not actually the the creator of Pac-Man. He 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 wasn't the uh, the programmer. I'm actually looking up to I can't remember right offhand who programmed. Um, let's see, programmers Shigeu. Um, let's see. Funaki Shige- Shigeo Funaki was the programmer for um Pac Man, but I don't think you know he considering I, I would consider him more kind of the grandfather <laughs> of Pac Man, yeah. um, which you know I, I think people are honestly most people that get mad at stuff like that like, did they even know who programmed Pac Man to begin with? You know, like they people get mad over the littlest things on Twitter and stuff these days. But, you know, like this guy was a huge like without this man we're talking about, we wouldn't have the like video gaming wouldn't be what it is today without Pac-Man, without Namco.
1: No, absolutely not. And, you know, the article goes on to kind of explain the evolution of Namco. It says here Namco would enter the video game market through the purchase of Atari's failing Japanese subsidiary in 1974. Uh, and he also, Nakamura, remained active in Namco until shortly after its 2005 merger with toy giant Bandai, becoming an honorary advisor in June 2006. In 2007, the Japanese government awarded Nakamura the Order of the Rising Sun, Gold Rays with Rosette, for his contributions to the industry. Yeah, so and, um, th- this this guy was you know key in the in the video game industry because like you said who knows what the industry would be like if not for Namco. Yeah, cuz look at most
0: of the great arcade games of the 70s and 80s or you know the 80s were Namco games like Galaxian, Pac-Man, Dig Dug, Pole Position. All those great games and Pac-Man was the first Mario basically. Like when Pac-Man came out you know, he was the first video game mascot, and it was a global phenomenon. And he may not have the staying power that Mario has, because you know, Mario is a uh, is more synonymous with Nintendo, which is still, you know, pumping out consoles and and Mario games. I mean, you don't really have Namco as a um, console maker and pushing out Pac Man games every year, but. I mean Pac-Man is still a pretty recognizable figure even today to kids who probably have never played Pac-Man. I mean, they've seen a Miss Pac-Man machine. I mean, you can't go to a a pizzeria without seeing a Miss Pac-Man machine somewhere.
1: No, absolutely. You know, you're right that Pac-Man may not have the the immediate recognition of Mario, but I would call him Definitely, and what's the word I'm looking for? Not an innovator, but basically like a precursor to something like a Mario that, you know, is just has that iconic staying power because Pac-Man to me is easily the most iconic and most known arcade game of all time. Like everybody knows who Pac-Man is. Yeah, I mean, after that, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was born in 77
0: so I was around I was like the ripe age for all the you know the video game boom when I was a kid. And I remember getting you know, for Christmas when I was a little kid, Pac Man like um what do they call those with the where you get the books that come with like the video cassettes, um, you know, the read along oh, stories. Were those? I used to get those, the Pac-Man stories. And uh, there was also Pac Man cartoons, there was Pac-Man serial. There were hell, there was a A disco song, Pac Man Fever, that was like that was top of the charts for like (laughs) six months when I was a little kid. It was a huge phenomenon. Uh, Now I'm gonna have that song stuck in my head. Oh, everybody knows Pac Man Fever. Actually, you know what? I used to have that record because I found it at the thrift store, like back in the
1: '90s. And I don't know what I did with it. I wish I still had it. When I was a kid, my parents or my grandparents used to have a jukebox. Oh, yeah. And they had Pac-Man fever in that in that jukebox. <laughs> it was awesome. It was
0: pretty crazy. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody really can like think about how big that was at the time because nobody had seen a, a video game like Pac-Man. It was the I mean, it was the very first game to ever have cutscenes that tells you a story as you're playing. I mean, it was really was a global phenomenon. I mean, there there was even rumors that in Japan, there was um, I think it was the hundred yen coin where they were having mm-hmm. a shortage of coins at the time because people were playing so many uh, video games of Pac Man and um, like Space Invaders and stuff at that time.
1: No, oh, for sure, for sure. But yeah, you know, our our thoughts obviously go out to the family of Messiah Nakamura. Yeah. He
0: will definitely be missed. I mean, that, that man's a legend. Absolutely. But uh, also we've got um, from DigitalTrends.com, Retroblox console breathes new life into retro games and outputs at 1080p. Retroblox Inc. has revealed a modular gaming console that's compatible with original cartridges for legacy 8-bit and 16-bit hardware, allowing veteran gamers to craft an all-in-one solution for their retro gaming needs. Unlike similar emulation-powered consoles like the Retron 5, the Retroblox also supports legacy CD-ROMs, giving fans of the Sega CD Turbo Duo and original PlayStation a new way to play their favorite disc-based games. Now, this, I think I might actually buy this, because I was actually thinking of buying a Retron 5 a couple of months back. But I just haven't had the money to drop on it, because I want to save space with all my old consoles, and I'd rather just have one machine. But if this thing can play everything from Nintendo to PlayStation 1, this would be worth the money.
1: Oh, for sure. When you first started reading this article, I'm like, yes.
0: But just. It Send has, it to me. Yeah, it hasn't been developed yet, but they will be launching a crowdfunding campaign in April. So we'll keep everybody updated about that. It says pricing and release dates for the RetroBlocks and its modules are not yet known. RetroBlocks will seek funding for its console through a crowdfunding campaign launching in April.
1: This is something that I would definitely even donate to because just the concept of it, playing all your old games on one system. Yeah. I mean, not I, only your, you
0: can't beat that. Yeah. Not only your cartridge based games, but if you could play, you know, disc based games
1: on this also, that's so awesome. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I would still want to collect the old consoles just to have them. Oh yeah. But if if this thing happens, you know, this is going to make, like, doing Let's Plays and doing, you know, having storage just being so much easier because you can play everything on on one system.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, to people that do Let's Plays and stuff like you said, this would be the perfect machine for that.
1: I mean, absolutely perfect. Absolutely. I I hope this happens. When the crowdfunding starts, I'm for sure going to donate to it. Yeah, we'll keep everybody
0: updated on the crowdfunding because I will be donating to this crowdfunding project. Absolutely. But uh, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. In 1986 in February, Namco releases Sky Kid Deluxe, their first game to use a Yamaha YM2151FM sound chip. I have no idea what that is.
1: <laughs> Sounds fancy. Yeah, it does. Sky Kid Deluxe. It, it kind of makes me think of Pit from Kid Icarus, even though I've never heard of Sky Kid Deluxe. I will actually look that up right yeah, now. Yeah, I haven't either. It, it
0: kind of looks like, almost like... Um, you ever play that game Barnstorming? or Not Barnstorming, but... Um... Oh, man. I have seen this game before, but I don't know if it was called Sky Kid. This looks really familiar.
1: This looks like a like a very primitive Nintendo game. Yeah. This looks almost like um Tailspin almost. It reminds me what was that game called? It's on the mini NES. Balloon Fight. It looks yeah. kind of like Balloon Fight. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Interesting. And the the sound chip. When I think of Yamaha, I think of like, um, I mean, I definitely think of audio. See, look, it's an eight-channel four-operator sound chip. It was Yamaha's first single-chip FM synthesis implementation, being created originally for some of the Yamaha DX series of keyboards. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I that's pretty cool. Fun- it's kind of
0: funny that they mentioned that because I had heard of this chip the other night. I was watching this new series on um, YouTube and let me try to look it up real quick and I'll tell everybody. Because somebody, um, actually Brian C., who is a listener of the show, had linked it to me. Uh, It's all about the 8-bit music and the people that made all that great 8-bit music. Um, Where are my... Here we go. Let me see... Uh, They are called, if I can find it. Hmm. I know it's here somewhere.
1: (laughs) See, the the sound chip was also used in many arcade game system boards, uh, starting with Atari's Marble Madness in 1984, then Sega arcade systems from 85, and then arcade games from Konami, Capcom, Data East and Namco and pinball machines.
0: Yeah, the series I'm watching on YouTube is called "Digging in the Carts," and it's by uh, Red Bull Music. That's a, um just look up on YouTube Red Bull Music "Digging in the Carts," and um, there's a lot
1: of episodes that go with that. Awesome. Also in 1986, on February 21st, Nintendo releases The Legend of Zelda, designed by Shigeru Miyamoto for the family computer disk system, the first game in the Legend of Zelda series. I, what, what can you really say about Zelda that we haven't already? I mean, it's, I said it on episode one. It's my all-time yeah. favorite franchise. I remember seeing this game for the first time I was four years old, and I used to go over to my aunt's house after school because both my parents worked, and um, she had an old uh, NES system, and there were two games. There was the Mario-Duck Hunt combination, Mm -hmm. and then she had Legend of Zelda, and don't get me wrong, Mario was great, but I was always drawn to Zelda from the very beginning, and I never beat that game until many years later. But I always loved that adventure feel to it. So, you know, I, I can't praise Zelda enough. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, Zelda is up there with Pac-Man as probably, you know, along with Super, with Super Mario Brothers as some of the most important video games of all time.
1: For sure. For sure. It's... When then this I'm trying to take all bias out of this, but I think when you rank like the iconic and most accomplished video game franchises, Zelda has to be in, in the top five. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So I, I like I said, I can't praise this game enough. It also came out the year I was born, so oh, yeah. I, I kind of <laughs> have a little more bias towards it, too. I was nine years old when it came out. Nice. Or almost
0: nine years old. Uh, in February of 1986, uh, SNK releases Ikari Warriors, which shares many elements with Tato's Frontline from 1982, but adds two-player simultaneous play and visuals closer to 1985's Commando. It was SNK's breakthrough game in the U.S. I remember SNK always had some great games on the, the NES.
1: I'm looking at the cover art for this game, and it looks amazing. Yeah, it... You know, uh, like you look up
0: SNK and the games that they made for um, for the NES, and uh, I had a I had a bunch of their games. Let me look it up their NES games that they played or that they SNK NES games. Yeah, I'm looking at SNK now. They had Athena, uh, Alpha Mission, Parasol Stars, uh, Gorilla. Um, I think I've had that game when I was a kid. Akari Warriors, POW. POW was one of my favorite games when I was a kid, and I don't have it anymore. And it's definitely up on my list of games that I... It, it's on the top of my list of games to get for uh, the NES. Um, and also, they did
1: Crystalis, which uh, I reviewed a couple of weeks back. Yeah, no, I mean the, the game the game looks pretty cool and like I said the the cover reminds me of like a an eighties action movie poster. Oh yeah. Most of them do.
0: Most of their action games look like, you know, some sort of I don't know, it looks like some sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just want Arnold to pop out and say, get to the chopper, <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> Uh, there was a Snapchat video he did. Yes, <laughs> like I think it was two years ago, and he's on top of a building, and you see a, a helicopter in the background. and He yells, "Get to the chopper!" Yeah. And <laughs> I'm like, "That's the greatest Snapchat video of all time." <laughs> Everyone can just stop Snapchatting because you will never top yeah. that. I would, I would love to hang out with Arnold for a day or so. He seems like such a cool dude.
0: I would love to like go um, with him in his tank and just run over stuff.
1: That just sounds like the most fun thing <laughs> ever uh i I love his movies they're they're just so corny I think what what movie was it? I'm trying to remember what it was, but he like he always had the corniest lines
0: oh, every single movie he was in yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> there was. But I can't remember what the movie is, but the line that he uses, I die laughing every time I hear it when he says, I eat green berets for breakfast. Oh, what movie was that? Was that Commando? It might have been Commando. Think it
0: was Commando. I eat green uh, berets for... Yeah, it was because he was fighting the, the guy in the hotel room and the guy was a green beret. <laughs> I eat the green, I eat green breads for, breads breakfast. for breakfast. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's so awesome. Uh,
1: I miss the 80s so bad. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Uh, next thing, we should do a spinoff episode where we review 80s movies. Oh, I would love that. We can, we can do that. I mean,
0: this doesn't have to necessarily be all video games. Oh, the, the
1: title is Nerd Cave Retro. And yeah.
0: '80s movies are retro. Yeah, exactly. We should start out. We should do Commando because I've been looking for a reason to watch that movie again.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've I've never watched that movie like all the way through. Really, I've just seen bits and pieces. Of, yeah.
0: Oh, it's all it it's spectacularly awful,
1: but it's so good. I'll have good. to watch it. It's so bad, it's good. We'll have to watch it. I'll do that, and then you know soon we need to do our Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, commentary. we do. I've been scouring. Um, I don't go
0: to Walmart often, but when I do, I go digging through the five dollar bin, just in the off chance I run across a uh, Super Mario Brothers or a Wizard. But I haven't cr- come across one yet. Yeah, the Wizard
1: especially is a is a rarity.
0: Yeah, I figure That's... I'll get lucky one day.
1: See, you can buy it. I'm uh, looking on Amazon. You can buy it on DVD for five bucks. Wow! Or on Blu-ray for uh for seventeen. Wow, seventeen bucks for Blu-ray. I don't know if I'd pay seventeen bucks.
0: No, for I mean, I, you know, I'd love to have it on Blu-ray, but I, I'll be fine with DVD.
1: <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with DVD. I don't, I don't know if this movie is meant to be watched in exactly. high definition.
0: I mean, it's not like it's Jurassic World or anything, man. It's The Wizard. No,
1: let's see. Oh, they've got the old Mario Brothers cartoon as well. Oh yeah, I loved that cartoon back in the day.
0: Oh, and Super Mario World was my favorite.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It, it's it's up there. Yeah, my, mine was probably. Either that or Mario Brothers 3. Both of those were good. Yeah, they, they
0: were always good.
1: Cartoons in the 80s were great.
0: Now that That's another thing
1: we could do, 80s cartoons.
0: Yeah, we could. Just, all they were were 30-minute commercials for toys. But they worked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they it, we're still worked. talking
1: about them to this day, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of Mario Brothers 3, in 1990, on February 12th, Nintendo releases the NES game Super Mario Brothers 3 in North America. It sells 17.28 million copies, making it one of the best-selling standalone video games of all time. That's a lot of money, and a lot of copies. That is a lot of copies. Yeah, you know, I one of the first episodes we ever did. You reviewed this game. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most iconic
0: NES game. I mean, you know, everybody thinks of Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers. The, you know what came with the NES, but to me, when I think of NES, Super Mario Brothers Three is the game that just pop immediately pops in my head.
1: It has one of the most iconic covers too. It's just the yellow background yeah. with Mario flying with his raccoon tail. It's it's definitely up there. I think with NES games, this and Zelda are my favorites. Like Mario Brothers three is is arguably the best Mario game ever made. Oh yeah,
0: I mean I I put it up up there. You know that and Super Mario World are probably they run pretty neck and neck for me. But like we talked about, I think three edges it out because it's just there's just something about that game, man.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think really what it came down to whenever we you know, did our comparison reviews of 3 and World, there's also the sentimental value of it as well. You grew up playing Mario yeah. Brothers 3, I grew up playing Mario World. So the, the sentimental aspect of it and growing up playing that particular game is, is going to skew your opinion a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. But uh, that does it for this month in video game history. And before we move on to Jason's review this week, I'd like to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And they have a ton of books to choose from, over 180,000. I actually just got my second audiobook, Star Wars Bloodline. yeah, and it's it's different than the autobiography that I was listening to because the first one is just, you know, a guy reading, but this has like a full production behind it. yeah, you know it's it starts off a funny story. i I listen to these audiobooks whenever I work out in the mornings. So I'm on the treadmill. My girlfriend's on the treadmill next to me, and I start playing the book, start running. And they say, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then they blast the Star Wars theme. So I grab my girlfriend by the arm, and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, they're playing the Star Wars theme.
0: Oh, yeah, I listened to that book. I got it on Audible a couple of months back. And uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who just read the actual book a couple of weeks ago. And um, that book's, you know, Bloodline, it's a great book. A little slow, but it has got so much information in it. Stuff that you need to know going into the next the next trilogy of movies of of what happened after Return of the Jedi. I mean, there is so much information in that book.
1: Yeah, I'm only two chapters in, but I've already learned, you know, I've learned quite a bit. And they're saying, you know, since since the Battle of Endor, this stuff has happened. Yeah. And I, I think that's really, really cool. So I, I'm really excited to hear it. And like I said, if you listen to a Star Wars book on Audible, they put a full production behind it. They have the music, sound effects, all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah, is so a really good book too. I
1: listened to that one not too long ago. Yeah, I think Zach's reading that one now, and he, he says so far he really likes it. Yeah, it's really good. But to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com nerdcave for your free audiobook.
0: So now on to my review for the week, RC Pro-Am. Pro M is a racing video game developed by Rare. It was released for the NES uh, by Nintendo for North America in 1988 and then in Europe on April 15th of the following year. Presented in an overhead isometric perspective, a single player races a radio controlled car around a series of tracks. The objective of each track is to qualify for the next race by placing in the top three racers. This is probably one of my favorite games for the NES. Um, Just for the sheer simple fact that, you know, I I said it the other day when I I put the picture up on Instagram of what we were doing this week. This game really is like the grandfather of Need for Speed or Forza, you know, those types of games. Because, you know, you can totally customize your vehicle in this game. You get money for winning races. You go to the store. You buy you know, you can buy new tires, uh, suspension systems, stuff like that. And you can buy weapons. Uh, it's it, it was a direct precursor. Like, if it wasn't for this game, we wouldn't have Mario Kart. And I'm sticking by that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the, the screen cap of uh, the gameplay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um uh, it's. I also think of it kind of as the the racing game that was briefly featured in The Wizard. Yeah. But you know, you explaining it to me because I know nothing about this game. Is it kind of set up like Mario Kart, where you do like a, a a different cup where you do like a sequence of races and you try to finish as as high as possible? Oh yeah, and
0: and just like Mario Kart, you have different power ups. That you get throughout the race. Really? So like I said, you've got um, you've got the oil slick. Uh, let me look up and see. You've got extra speed boost, um, and you have to grab letters uh, that gives players large point bonuses and the ability to drive an upgraded car if they can spell Nintendo with them. Uh, players can upgrade from standard truck to a faster four-wheeler and then to the fastest off-roader. Um, excessive use of projectile weaponry opponents will result in the yellow car accelerating to 127 miles per hour which cannot be matched by the player uh, i guess that's talking about the the different colored cars um but yeah you can get like uh missiles that you can shoot the car in front of you i mean it's it it really is like mario like the nes version of mario kart basically
1: i had no idea that it had all of those features yeah, it's that. That's awesome.
0: It's probably the best racing game for the. I mean, I'm I'm gonna say it here. It's the best racing game for the NES. the The controls are perfect. The, you know, the it doesn't seem like it would be the way the the screen. You know, the way the the track is set up, but it works really well with the D pad, and it. You know, it. The controls are really nice they like they did a really good job on this game, and just the way you can do upgrades and you go it just one of those games that just keeps you playing because you want to get better and better and you know upgrade your car more and more I mean there's not much more I can say about this game other than if if you don't own this game and you have an NES and you're you're thinking about collecting retro games or you are a collector and you don't have a copy of this game you're missing out, because this is probably one of the top ten best games for the NES.
1: Yeah, I'm reading the the Wikipedia here. It has appeared in many top games of all time lists, and is regarded as one of the best titles in the NES library. And then All Game gave it four and a half out of five stars. That That's really high praise.
0: Yeah. You'd be surprised if you've never played this game, you'd be surprised at how fun and how well this game, like the controls handle for this game. It just, everything just kind of mashes together to make a perfect racing experience on the NES.
1: Another thing that's really cool about this is that, and I had no idea about this either this game was made by Rare, which is yeah. one of my favorite game developing companies of all time. Yeah. You know, for you know, listeners maybe around my age, they created Banjo Kazooie, um, Diddy Kong Racing, uh, Goldeneye, Donkey Kong Country, Perfect Dark, Conker's Bad Fur Day. Um, they really kind of fell off the map a little bit when they left Nintendo and went to Microsoft. Yeah, they they made a couple of good games for for Microsoft, but they they were nothing like they were when they were with Nintendo. Yeah, I mean they. Did but that's make awesome some that the, they made that game though. You know, they did make some of
0: the best games. I mean, basically of all time. I mean, uh, they made like you said, Golden Eye. I mean, who doesn't remember playing the hell out of Golden Eye, man? Arguably the best N sixty four game ever made. Oh, and they did make, um, didn't they make uh, Gears of War? I think they did. Um, I'm not sure if they made... Let me look that up real quick. Or they might have... I don't know if they were the publisher. Or they
1: developed it. Let me look Let's here. Let's see. Gears of War. Um, It was published by Microsoft Studios. Developed by Epic Games and The Coalition. So I'm not seeing anything
0: by Rare on here. Because I remember Rare doing something uh, on the Xbox, but I don't remember exactly what. I'm trying to look it up now.
1: Uh, For Xbox, they did uh, Cameo, Elements of Power, Perfect Dark Zero, and Viva Pinata.
0: Yeah, that was it, Viva Pinata. That's what I was trying to think of, because that that was one of those out-of-left-field games that everybody loved the Xbox. That game is addicting. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Like, it's such an odd concept.
1: It is, and, you know, I, I had a couple of friends who played it, and I'm like, that, that game sounds terrible. They're like, no, you gotta play it, you'll love it. And of course, it's within three minutes of playing it, I didn't want to put it down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so weird. But yeah, like, <clears throat> you know, Rare put out some good games back in the day, especially, you know, the 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 80s and 90s this being uh, RC Pro Am being one of the best games that they put out for the NES I mean I'm looking up here uh appeared on many on various best games list over the year uh survey conducted by game pro in 1990 ranked the game as the 10th best sports video game of all time uh Game Informer put the game at 84 on its top 100 games of all time in August 2001 uh, IGN listed the game as the 13th best NES game of all time. I mean, it, it just goes on and on the the praise that this game gets, and it's well deserved because it's damn near a perfect racing game.
1: It sounds like it, and from what very little gameplay I've seen of it, you know, I, I definitely want to check it out. And plus, hearing all the praise that you've given it, yeah, I mean, this is one of those games
0: that. You know, you you don't have to play like a story or anything like that. It's just one of those games that's kind of like Tetris where you just put it in and, you know, it's like plug and play, you know, like, and you can just pop it in and play. Like, if you don't know what you're going to play, this is one of those games that you just pop in and you can instantly just like jump right into the action, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I give this game uh, 10... on a scale of 10, I give this game a nine. Wow. So that's, that's high praise. Yeah. It's, it's pretty hard to get a perfect score on on my, my scale, but nine is probably as, as high as you're going to get. I mean, there's a few games that do make it to 10. Um, but this one is definitely up there and probably my top five favorite. Uh, well, I'd say, I wouldn't say top five, maybe, but definitely top 10 top 10 favorite uh NES games.
1: It may not be in your top 5, but it should be in your top 6.
0: Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> yeah, it, it
1: would if there was the
0: top 5, it would definitely be number 6. <laughs> because, you know, they, I I you know, I like Ninja Gaiden, Super Mario Brothers 3, uh Star Tropics, um yeah, let's see what else. Maybe it does fall in that into top 5 now that I think about. It. Well, uh, Dr. Mario, Tetris. Uh but this definitely falls into that that top tier category of games that you must have this is a must have game for the n e s
1: uh, sounds like it yeah I'll definitely have to do more research and watch some more gameplay oh definitely if you
0: can find a uh you know a copy of it on the um maybe they have it on the nintendo store the what do they call it the um
1: virtual console virtual
0: console definitely pick up a copy of it. Absolutely. And it's not a a rare game. I mean, it's made by rare, but it's not a literally rare game at all. I mean, you can find copies of this for like, you know, between five and 10 bucks at, you know, pretty much any retro gaming store is going to have a copy of this game, Uh, you know, maybe multiple copies of it. It's not a hard game to find at all. So if you find it, you know, it's worth between five and 10 bucks to just pick up a copy of it to have because it is a really good game. Yeah, I'll definitely have to do more research into it. But, uh, but I think that's going to about do it for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to talk about before we go.
1: No, just uh, next week I will be reviewing... Uh, one of the listeners actually requested that I review this, uh, Chris Kubiak, who actually uh, lives in my neck of the woods. I will be reviewing the SNES RPG Secret of Evermore. Fantastic. And uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do after that, but... We
0: are not going to be here uh, two weeks from now because, like I said, we will both be pretty much recovering from uh, Pensacon that week. So we've got one more show coming up next week, and then we'll be taking the next week off. So we'll, it'll be two weeks before we come back after that.
1: Yeah, we'll be uh,
0: we'll be sleeping Sunday night. Yes, we definitely will. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, call it a night. And um, if you would like to get a hold of us You can email us at NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com You can also find us on our new website NerdCaveRetro.com We're on Instagram and Twitter At NerdCaveRetro You can follow Derek and I both individually On Twitter at JFontastic And at Derek underscore Diamond And we can also be found on Facebook At facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro And I think that's going to do it for this week So Derek, tell them what it's all about
1: i got pac-man fever Fever.
0: pac-man fever
1: you've been listening to a nerd cave network production